You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. I just want to ask you, uh, just as we begin, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at a short passage in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus is walking uh, basically on a little bit of a road trip. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to pick up near the end at verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, and you can follow along as I read. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go And proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, would you pray with me as we consider God's word? Lord, we just ask that now you would remind us once again just as we have been singing, that Jesus is unfailing. Help us to trust your word and help us to be challenged by what it means to follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus Christ today. Help us to do that even as we hear from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you and me... I don't know all of you, but my guess is, you and me, we love to keep our options open. You know, we, we have lots of options for everything. So probably on your way over here this morning, you were picking up your regular coffee order, maybe a Starbucks order. You know, you're getting your double ristretto, venti, half soy, non-fat, decaf, organic, chocolate brownie, ice vanilla, double shot, gingerbread, frappuccino, extra hot with foam, whipped cream, upside down, double blended, one sweet and low and one Nutra-sweet and ice. I had to Google that. That's supposedly the longest Starbucks order. Lots of options. Lots of options. We like to have options. We like to keep our options open. Why? Why do we do that? Well, it's because we don't like to have our freedom limited. We don't like to have our preferences restricted. And this applies to coffee. It also applies to Christians. Christians love to have preferences. We love to have options. What's the start time of church? What's the children's program? Does the pastor use the Bible that I use? What songs do they sing? Does the pastor make regular house calls? You see that there are many options that Christians will want to have available. 
and they want them available so that their preferences can be met. Sadly, what can happen is that when the preferences aren't met, then people will look for other options. And this can be kind of sad when people leave the church just to go to another different but decent church. But it can be devastating when, in the case, if you've been following kind of the Christian news, the case of Josh Harris, who is a very famous Christian pastor, who it seems has left Jesus Christ, preferring something other than Jesus. When we think about our options and what it means to follow Jesus, it's best then for us to hear what Jesus says directly, you know, from his word. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen in on this series of conversations that I just read and listen to what Jesus says as he's on this road trip with his disciples. So we're just, we're all going to be in Luke chapter 9 in the, from verses 57 on. So in this dialogue on the road, Jesus responds to basically three requests for options. The requests for options. Three times people commit to following Jesus, but with conditions. They commit to following Jesus, but with conditions. The first condition is security. The second condition is family. And the third condition is popularity. So security, family, and popularity. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's look at security to begin with. It starts off, you see it there in verse 57. I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I don't know about you, but I I think these days we are pretty cynical when it comes to claims like that. You know, it's kind of the big talk that you get from someone who's at a company and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be with this company. I'll, I'll be with this company wherever you go. And then they jump ship and go to a different company, right? Or, you know, you've got a girl in college. She says to her boyfriend or vice versa, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then they're dating someone else the next semester, right? <laughs> you know, we, we can be pretty cynical because we, we know when people say, I will follow you wherever you go, we're like, yeah, okay, that'll work for a bit. And there's also the person who watches some Christian YouTube and says, oh, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And then they move on from Jesus. You know, move on to, I don't know, whatever, tips on mindfulness or cat videos or whatever people watch on YouTube, right? They move on, right? You see, we are commitment-breaking creatures because of our sin. Commitment-breaking creatures. We are not promise keepers, even though there was that well-intentioned men's movement. We are not promise keepers. We're promise breakers because of our sin. So when someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And, and so what Jesus is doing here is something he does very frequently. He's making an argument from lesser to greater. From lesser to greater. So you got to think, okay, you've got these lowly critters. They have critter homes. 
They've got critter homes. And, you know, foxes are going to snuggle in their little foxhole with their little fox family. Birds are going to brood over their little nest, a comfy little spot. You know, what did Tolkien say? A hobbit hole isn't like a normal hole. A hobbit hole means comfort. Well, if these little creatures, these little critters really are happy in their dens and their nests, then you know, we would expect that the greatest ruler in the universe, that he's going to have something spectacular. You know, that we're going to expect then Jesus is going to be at least in what? Trump Tower, you know, gold faucets, uh, you know, big square footage. Or if you're thinking in a Calgary context, definitely going to have a big house in Mount Royal or, you know, a McMansion out in Springbank or somewhere. You know, that's where you would expect a guy like that to be. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man is that title that Jesus uses for himself to show that he is this exalted representative of people. He is the messianic man. So on the one hand, that's him. He's a messianic man. And yet on the other, at the same time, he's the divine ruler who has everlasting dominion over all kingdoms. And we won't take the time to look at this, but today or this week, you can look at the book of Ezekiel where the term son of man is repeatedly used. Or in Daniel chapter 7, where there's this vision of the son of man, and he is put on an equal status with the ancient of days, even God himself. So you're telling me that the son of man doesn't even have a condo. He doesn't have nothing. He, no townhouse, no revenue properties, no mobile home in a trailer park, no shack, no tent. So what Jesus is doing is he's confronting the idol of security. He's confronting the idol of security. The sin of trusting in your possessions as a security against the future. Trusting in your possessions as a security against the future. And you think, well, can't I follow Jesus and buy a house? Well, of course you can. But what Jesus is reminding people is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee that your dreams of earthly security are all going to come true. Rather, Jesus promises to keep you and to love you and to lead you to an eternal home. In John 14, you're probably all familiar with it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Why? Because he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, your Father knows what you need. Before you ask him. He knows. Like, so just pause for a second and just ask yourself whether or not you actually believe that. Do you believe that the Father knows what you particularly need today? 
Or do you think, oh, well, God doesn't care. He doesn't know and doesn't care. In Matthew 6.20, Jesus said, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as we begin here, I just want to ask, are you following Jesus, but only on the condition that your preferred dreams are fulfilled? Are you going to follow Jesus only on condition that your preferred security is kept intact? Or are you a spiritual mercenary? You know, you seek your preferred places that make you comfy and cozy, and you'll switch and you'll go wherever you need to go just to make sure that your security is kept intact. We boast about our commitment to Jesus, yet seek the security of our preferences. And to that, Jesus says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so there's a prosperity gospel that isn't just on TV. It's in churches like mine and churches like this one. It's in your heart and it's in mine. And it's the prosperity gospel that wants our felt needs to be prospered or else our commitment to Jesus is going to be gone or at least lessened. And that's kind of the problem. That's what Jesus is challenging here in this first conversation. So that's the idol of security. It's Jesus, not security. But secondly, we have this other conversation you see there in verse 59, this other second conversation that takes place on this road trip to Jerusalem. And Jesus says to another, he said, follow me. But Jesus said, or he said, he, he said, Jesus said, follow me. And then the guy says, he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this second condition is the condition of family, family. And, and this one seems very logical. Because as a Christian church, I know you guys are pro-family. You're pro-family. You want to promote the care of elderly parents. You want to encourage the cohesion of the family unit. You, you want to you believe in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. You believe these things. But in verse 60, Jesus said, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is doing here, and this is really actually hard to take, but what he's doing is he's making a radical claim on our allegiance. A radical claim. It's offensive and arrogant if it was said by anybody else. Jesus demands more of your allegiance than even your family. More of your allegiance than even your family. Now think about this person who said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. They're not wanting to do something really bad, right? 
You know, they're not wanting to reject Jesus in order to go fulfilling all of their lusts and greed. It's not that. But in this case, the good is the enemy of the best. The good is the enemy of the best. This person is wanting to prioritize their family And then once their family obligations are all finished up, then they can follow Jesus without hindrance. That's that's what they're thinking, right? It's not a matter of if, but when. You know, know, it's lots of good intentions. They intend to follow Jesus. They just want to take care of these good things first. And I don't know about you, but I've met lots of folks And the temptation's there for me too. Where there's all kinds of good things that you can be involved in. And yet they will stand as a barrier to you actually following Jesus exclusively. Now, we don't need to go into the significance of the ancient Middle Eastern culture to speak about how important family bonds are. But they are important. Uh, I, I mean, I was reminded of this this week. We're painting the fence in my backyard. And then my Muslim neighbor came out into the backyard. And then we had this conversation over the fence for about an hour. And so we were talking. And he talked about his family connections. They're so close, the family connections. They would even intermarry within the same village in his home country. They wouldn't marry outside that village. I think the selection gets a little limited after a while, but anyways. But, but the point was that this guy, this friend of mine that my neighbor, he would also have all of his adult children would all live with him until they're married. And even after they're married, they still esteemed him as the head of the whole family. And so the bonds were extremely tight, extremely hard. And I got thinking, well, it's going to be a challenge for any of those family members to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because they would have to then prioritize Jesus over their family. It'd be really tough. And I really, I mean, when you think about Muslim evangelism, that's the, that's the barrier, is the power of these family ties. But just think about, what about you and me? We can prioritize our families, which are with good priorities, but we can let our family's preferences dominate, and the good ends up being the enemy of the best. I want to just give then maybe some churchy examples because then that kind of makes it applicable to us. <laughs> think about some churchy stuff. Think about what the challenges are, where, the, where a family would be the condition that would kind of hinder you from following Jesus. Well, the easy one to say is kids' sports on Sundays or other, any other type of regular major commitment on Sundays. You know, sorry, we can't be at church for nine months because, you know, our kids got hockey. You know, it's, hey, I'm, just, I'm glad kids are playing hockey. I love hockey. But then it means you're not going to be in church for nine months? Well, that means you just you don't go to church. <laughs> it's, it's not that you're not going some Sundays. It means you don't go. You know, or expectations of family programming in a church. 
And we were just talking before the service just about the challenges. You don't have volunteers to have all the programs that some people expect. Well, sometimes then that's, that's a condition that people will demand before they'll really follow Jesus fully. Why is there you know, very much a consumeristic culture in so many churches? It's because a lot of people prioritize entertaining their family first, and Jesus is a distant second. I had a pastor tell me about a mom who asked him if there was any youth activities planned for the summer. And when he said that there wasn't, then she said, "Mm, that's okay, because their their family had planned to take a break from church for the summer. It's like, take a break from church? (laughs) You take a break from breathing? Take a break from eating? This This is food for the soul. We can prioritize the good, like family, as the condition to be met before we follow Jesus completely. But the fact is, delayed obedience is disobedience. The other thing that happens when we prioritize family in this way is it's a bit arrogant and a bit foolish. Because you got to think, God cares more for your family than you do. He has more capacity of love and care for your family than you do. So stop trying to be messianic and fixing your family and instead point your family to Jesus Christ. And if your family and any other allegiances are to those who are not believing in Jesus Christ, then we have to admit that they are spiritually dead. They are as it says in Ephesians 2.1, they're dead in trespasses and sins. Our hope for them is that, as Jesus put it, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's what we want to have happen, as it says in John 5. That's what we want for them. So their family claims are important, but not ultimate. Jesus says, let the spiritually dead, we could say, bury their own dead. You follow me. We can't let family obligations have a higher priority than Jesus. I came across this children's blessing, a nighttime blessing of gospel love from Tim Keller. It's based on a guy had crafted it based on some things that Tim Keller had said. And it goes like this. It's something you can pray for your kids at night. So it's parent, child. Parent, do you see my eyes? Child, yes. Can you see that I see your eyes? Kid says, yes. Do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God. Even more than me? Yes. Rest in that love. That's a nighttime blessing for your children. Don't make the condition of family stop you from following Jesus fully. God's love is greater than ours. And so just to ask then, are 
your family preferences muzzling you from going then and proclaiming the kingdom of God because you're too busy trying to cater to the family's whims and you've basically shut your mouth and you won't herald the gospel which Jesus has called you to, which are laid out even in these banners. That's what we're called to. So that's the, the second thing, the second condition that I think is a challenge for each one of us. And this is really getting at it here as Jesus is teaching. But that brings us then to this last guy or person. Don't know if it's a man or a woman. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, I'm going to argue that this third point is the condition of popularity. The condition of popularity. The last person might sound like the person who wanted to keep all their family commitments before following Jesus. It it does sound a little bit like that, but it's still different. It's it's a delayed obedience. But this, this person is simply wanting to have a goodbye party. And you can imagine what this person's thinking. If I don't go back and talk to my friends and talk to my family, and if I don't persuade them that following Jesus is a good move, then they might think that I'm a jerk. That's probably what he's thinking, right? If I don't do this, they're going to think that I'm a jerk. If I don't go back and kind of smooth it over and and offer a little bit of spin, a little bit of PR, if I don't do that first, they're going to think I'm a jerk. They might think that I'm a bad friend. And you know, there are a few things right now in our culture that are, that are worse than being a bad friend. You know, think of the sting of being unfriended on Facebook, right? You know, being a bad friend. You, you, you know, we, we all want to avoid that. We've, we're stung by that. They might think that I'm ungrateful for all that they've done. That's what you could be thinking. And there are many people today who don't want to follow Jesus because they're afraid of losing their friends. They're afraid that their social network won't understand. You're following Jesus? What are you, does, that, does that mean then you're some type of an American Republican gay-hating person? Or whatever it is, whatever the stereotype is? So people show big interest in Jesus, but they won't follow him unless they can massage all of their social network sufficiently. I got to go back. I got I to have this kind of a, a farewell apology tour first before I follow Jesus. I think it's also why some people stop going to church after a while. They just simply don't want to be identified with Jesus. They're worried about what their friends think about them. But Jesus said, look at it, verse 62. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, most of you maybe don't know me, but 
I've got lots of farming background. So I've done quite a bit of plowing over the years. And the principles are actually the same, whether you're driving, you know, the big tractor or if you're plowing behind an animal, behind an ox or a horse. It's the same principle. If you look back, then all of a sudden, what you start veering off. Or it's the same, you're driving the tractor, you look back, and all of a sudden, you're hitting the fence. Right? You can't plow straight. Um, maybe let's put it into a little bit more Calgary analogy. So you're driving along, going down Deerfoot, and your husband, you know, he's, he's cruising along there, and he passes the, he, go, he sees the Corvette, and then what happens? You know, like you just veer off because you're looking at something, you know, you, and that's what happens. You're not single-minded. And Jesus is saying you have to be single-minded. Jesus alone has to be your highest priority. Now, a lot of commentators have looked at this passage and they've seen the similarity of what Jesus said to what Elijah, that Old Testament prophet, what he said to Elisha, who was the successor prophet. And, and Elijah had passed on his mantle, this, this cloak that symbolized the power that was conferred to Elisha as a prophet to be able to perform miracles. And in 1 Kings 19, Elisha left his oxen, so he's out there plowing, and he ran after Elijah and said, uh, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah then said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? Well, Elisha did go back, but he sacrificed the oxen on the fire that was fed by all of his farming tools. Jesus is doing the same thing, only more. Jesus is calling for complete following, a complete obedience. He wants these potential followers to realize who it really is that they are following. You know, we're, this, I know you f folks here, you're not here to play games. There's too many supposed Christians playing games. You're not here to play games. You want Jesus. And we've got to keep focused on the Lord Jesus and to realize who he is. He is Lord of the universe. Because when we realize who, who we're actually following, we see that what Jesus does here, he actually ups the ante. Because he says, basically, anyone who wants to put something else as a priority over Jesus, then he's saying they aren't fitted for the kingdom of God. And if you look back, you're not going to have Jesus as your sole peak priority, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God, he says. Jesus is saying, if you want Jesus, but only when he's convenient, then you aren't fitted for the kingdom, you don't belong in the kingdom. You've got the Jesus talk, lots of Jesus talk, but you might not even be a believer because the Jesus you're following is a Jesus you can, you know, stick in your back pocket, take it with you, pull it out when you need it, put it back in your pocket when you don't. 
There's a lot of people treat Jesus like that. It's hard to be unpopular. It's hard to be unliked. And many people put off coming to Jesus because they're on this perpetual apology tour. You know, they just got to go, they, they, they talk to their friends and they're, they're trying to get their friends to keep liking them with Jesus. So it's like they're going around and testing everyone. Would you still like me if I follow Jesus? Yes or no? And then they see, well, and if they're resistant, then okay, well, I'm not going to follow Jesus yet. I'm not going to do it quite yet. But let me see if I can convince you before I follow Jesus. There's a lot of people like that. And then, then in 10 years go by and they say, yeah, I've gone to church. They say, yeah, I know something about Jesus. But then they've never followed him. They never followed him. They don't follow Jesus. By contrast, you remember Peter and Andrew? You remember those guys when they were told by Jesus? Jesus said, follow me, you know, just no, <laughs> no caveats, no nuance, follow me. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. And then what did they do? Like, okay, well, six months, I need six months to divest myself of my business. I, I've got I've to go talk to all my extended family and make sure that this change of religion is going to be okay. Um, I've, you know, I've got to make sure I've got all my retirement plans in place before I follow. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, but I've got to get a lot of stuff in place before I follow. You know, what did they do? <laughs> it says, they left their nets. Drop it right there. And followed and followed him. I'll tell you what, friends, that is really hard for us. It's hard for us to fathom. And I trust most of you have forsaken all to follow Jesus Christ. And yet we're tempted daily to set priorities of things other than Christ as being the condition for us to obey, the condition that has to be met before we will obey Jesus. There's no condition of popularity to be met before following Jesus. There's no farewell parties to make sure that everyone stays happy with you. No delays. It's just Jesus. Jesus and his rule and reign in his kingdom. I just love that line from the song we sang. Jesus is unfailing. He's enough. Well, I just want to bring it to a close and then apply this for us. Like how does this flesh out for us? And so I've got two Brief applications and then a quick story. The first is this. I, I, I want to ask you just really, this is where you've got to really think about your own life before God, before the face of God. So the first is this. What are the conditions in place in your life that will compete with Jesus? What are the conditions in your life that are competing with Jesus? Things that you're saying, well, no, but I've, I've got to have this before I'm more obedient. 
I've got to have a certain income. Or I've got to have a certain type of crowd. Or I've got to have a certain social standing. Or I've got to have certain degrees of comfort. Or I've got to have a certain precise theological agreement on all my pet issues. It can be any number of these conditions before I'll actually be obedient in following Jesus. What are those conditions? Basically, what are your deal breakers? What are your deal breakers? I mean, I don't know if you guys follow the Josh Harris thing. I mean, he's just, he was a well-known pastor who just said that he's ended his marriage and he's ended his commitment to Jesus Christ. He says he's not a Christian anymore. And, and I just think, what was his deal breaker? What's the deal breaker there? He's, he's going to kind of step away from Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who has shown grace and love toward him. He's going to step away because some other deal wasn't met. Some other condition wasn't met. That's the first thing for us to think about. And it's something we ought to think about. Secondly, and this applies a little bit more to the church here. So not just Jesus, but following Jesus in this local church. My second question is, if you recalibrated your priorities, would this church, where you're pointed to Jesus faithfully, week in and week out, would this church be enough? So if you had your priorities recalibrated, would this church be enough? Because there's a lot of folks, they're like, oh, I'm all about Jesus, church, not so much. You say, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah. I ask them, well, where do you go to church? Uh, well, I don't really go to church. I'm like, uh, something's wrong here. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to want to be with Jesus' family, to be with his people, to be together just like we've been doing and singing with them, worshiping Jesus together, encouraging one another to look to Jesus. That's what we do. That's the excitement. And it's all about coming together, these people, real souls coming together, encouraging one another to look to Jesus. So is this church enough? Well, Jesus is enough, and if we're being pointed to Jesus, that should be enough. So to ask yourself, is this church enough? If your priorities were recalibrated. So I asked these two questions because I just had coffee uh, two weeks ago with an old friend. Currently, like we went to school together, currently he's an executive in a major corporation in a closed Middle Eastern country. I won't even mention the name of it. He's actually a missionary. And it's basically illegal to become a Christian in that country. And he told me that in this country, and if I said the name, you'd know what I'm talking about. In this country, there were only 30 known Christian believers in the whole country. 30. So less than what's sitting here in the whole nation. He told me about one convert. And he said, this guy barely knows anything. Definitely doesn't know as much as everybody does here in terms of knowing Christian faith. This one convert was sentenced to 900 lashes. You're like, is that a joke? Or like, what do you mean, 900 lashes? 
Is this medieval times? He has to go in every month to get another hundred lashes. So they space it out over nine months. A hundred lashes a month. And you think, well, isn't this guy just going to say, oh, I just renounced Jesus. I've had enough of being whipped. No, he doesn't renounce Jesus. He keeps falling because Jesus is enough. Even this very rudimentary understanding of who Jesus is, what the gospel is. He doesn't forsake the faith. You see, there are many people who know less about the Christian faith, but who are prioritizing Jesus a lot more than many of us. Paul said to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Oh, friends, look at the riches that we have in Christ. All that we have in Jesus. With Jesus, we have more than all of our supposed conditions might demand. So much more. So let us repent of our consumerism in the church. And let's get back to cherishing Jesus. Cherishing Jesus for who he is. Following him exclusively without conditions. Let us do that, friends. Because Jesus is worth it. And Jesus is unfailing. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your free grace, your favor, your blessing, your kindness towards sinners like us. Grant for us to know the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to cherish the cross of Jesus Christ where we can know that our sins have been covered by his blood. Let us follow you, Lord. We, we want to follow you without conditions. We pray that we would follow Jesus the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to the honor of the Father. And we pray all this in the triune name of God. Amen.